0: It's episode 55 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Dan Atfield. Hello! (laughs) Hello! (laughs) How's it going? It's going well. (laughs) How's it going for you? Yeah, it's going
1: really well. We're already off to a giddy start. I love
0: it. (laughs) We were chatting quite normally. <laughs> uh, um, and now I've started recording, I've suddenly got the giggles. This You would have thought 55 episodes in that I might have conquered this particular aspect of the recording thing.
1: No, no, no. no. 10 out of 10. <laughs> would do that start again in a heartbeat.
0: No, no. We're, getting, we're just power through. We're just power through. Oh, uh, anyway, right. Um, okay, brilliant. So, uh, you're a man that does, I am. That does <laughs> lots of things. So
1: many, almost too many things, Just I think. think. Too many? Yeah. Um, in okay. fact, I had my appraisal at my sort of regular normal person day job uh, yeah. today, and it was essentially going, how do you balance the comedy improv side of things with making money and being able to afford your rent. Um, and so that was an interesting chat I had today with a very serious man. What um, was the answer to that? The answer was, I'm focusing more on the comedy and improv side than I am on the regular day person thing. And they're fine with that, which is nice. It's a good, it's a, it's a lovely situation to be in, um, but still trying to find that equilibrium of, I don't have to just eat bread, Yes. compared to, oh, I don't have time to do any of the cool stuff with improv and comedy that I want to do. So, yeah, very much on my mind at the moment, yes. there are many things. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't give any of them up because there's a lot of really fun stuff going on, particularly in London, but all over the place that I'm delighted to be part of, so.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Right, well, what should we start with first? What would you like to talk That's about first? That's a
1: great question. <laughs> um, I, mean, I mean, it's the Improv London podcast, so let's, let's start improv. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, improv in London was what, seven years ago, I think? Moved, Yeah, seven years in July, I think I'll be here. I remember moving down going, this is a really great opportunity to get involved with a burgeoning scene at the time. So I think uh, Steve Rowe from Hoopla had uh, just moved into the Miller, I think at that point, point 2010. And so I remember going to my first workshop, which would have been at it's called Agent Orange in Clapham Junction, if you've ever been there. No. So on uh, Clapham, it's not even Clapham High Street, it's um, just you come up to Clapham Junction Station, you turn right towards the bridge, uh, and it's this uh, lovely little sort of rock pub downstairs where they've got the table foosball, moved everything out of the way. I remember having my first session with uh, Edgar yeah. uh, and Steve, and just going, oh, this is what London Improv is like, and it's Wednesday, and I'm doing improv, and I could have you, any night of the week, there's something on. But it was still burgeoning, They were still trying to find a venue to put on performances and stuff. So I remember being super excited that places like the Miller were about to be a thing. And even then it was, I think it was just one day a week only on a Tuesday at that wow. point, which was really, really lovely. Um, but yeah, um, London Improv has, yeah, really changed, really changed like how I see myself um, and loads of really important parts of my life. So. That's where I am at the moment. Is wow. seven years into London Improv
0: and and loving every minute of it. Cool. So, how has Improv changed the way you see yourself? That's a
1: uh, I, I, nice? I, a I mean, I. These are the big questions. These are the, the big I'm straight away. Saying,
0: you know, but you set yourself up for that. Um,
1: <laughs> well, one. Of the, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed is that there's the whole the the big empathy question. As the, for me, it's it's empathy, it's trust, um, and it's listening. I think those things straight away make you just a better human being as well as a better improviser. And I think if you can, um, I think improvisers do this naturally anyway. You, the the more you tuned into other people, the more you're trying to figure out, okay, how can we make any scenario work to our mutual benefit? That helps you in other areas that are not on stage. Yes. So being able to do that kind of thing at work, you know, diffusing tough situations, building trust with people that you maybe, you know, wouldn't necessarily just give a load of trust to. An improviser naturally goes, yeah, right, let's <laughs> let's do this. Um, and let's go and, and build a cool relationship off the top of that. Um, and it certainly helps in a lot of my work relationships, um, friendships i found, I think I'm a, a, a better, I'm still not a great friend, but I'm an okay <laughs> friend. Like I'm getting better at it. Um, and communication skills, like most of all is like, if. Do more listening than talking, which you're obviously excellent at right now. I'm doing all the talking, and I feel bad about that. But, Do not um, feel bad about because <laughs>
0: I'm on every episode of this podcast more or less. So I'm I'm more than happy if I sit here and uh, the guest <laughs> just talks, and then I can go brilliant, done, happy days. And happy listening, happy listening. Should we talk talk about the RH experience? Yeah. Um, what are, what are they about? Uh, Who so are the are R- they? the RH what's experience you, what's are your thing about them.
1: Uh, they are, uh, they're a bunch of legends, is how I describe them. Um, really lovely guys. I met them, how long was it now? I think it was a couple of years into to moving to London, but I met them at a drop-in, another hoopla drop-in workshop. This was, a—I uh, I think this was Ballum. It wasn't at the Bedford. It was, I think it's the, whatever, St. Mary's church, just around the corner. It was another one run by Steve and these three guys came in and it was like, oh, hello. Something's going on like, <laughs> there. They clearly have an energy about them. Um, so I met Connor Jatter, Luke Spillane and Tom Webster. They came in and it was just like, oh, cool. I think we might have a vibe. And on that particular occasion, we didn't even meet. So I just saw them and went, they're pretty cool. That's really nice. <laughs> um, and then saw them do various bits. They were already doing live shows in London. They had their sort of burgeoning RH and Friends night on, which seemed pretty cool. So we remember going that a couple of times. At the time I was working with a Do Not Just Your Stage. So uh, Back in, yeah, back in 2010, I was one of the founding members with Nick Orem, uh, Reese Collier, uh, Amy Bailey, who's now off doing crazy things like, I think it's Vikings, her show on, oh, wow. like, Sky, is it Sky Atlantic or yeah, something like? yeah, she's doing incredible yeah, stuff. Uh, Tim Grucock, um, uh, Luke Courtney Smith, who I'm not sure is doing much stuff around uh, London anymore. Um, and then the rest of the Sheffield Lockhead Am, so people like Sean Lothian and Helen O'Donnell and all those kind of folks came in a little bit later on. But being that at the time, and I remember doing a show with the RH Experience, uh, and essentially they stole me from, from doing I just gesture stage. <laughs> at the time, I was having a similar type of thing where I'm going, I'm doing too much, I had a completely different job. And I kind of went, well, I want to focus on a particular project do not just adjust your stage doing very well. Um, it was exactly my kind of vibe. Um, there was something though, there's some sort of spark that I felt with the RH boys that made it sort of almost inevitable that something was going to happen. Yeah. So I remember joining them and just having a lot of fun. It was like I joined a friendship 10 years in and we'd already got all the in jokes. Um, you get initiated into what the RH stands for, which will not come out on this podcast. I'm afraid you have, you have to be initiated over time and then being able to do all of the cool improv things melded with a lot of the YouTube stuff. So the guys have been doing YouTube videos for years, usually sketches, lots of improvised type sketches, but a lot of pre-written stuff like Connor and Connor and Tom particularly are excellent writers. and so they've been working on that kind of stuff for ages. I was like, cool, I want to get involved in that lovely Venn diagram of online type stuff and, and improv and just have had the best, it's now what, four years, maybe five, yeah. that we've been doing stuff either on stage together or on video together um, and just putting fun stuff out there. It's just a nice, it feels like a good warm, it's, it's friends first um, and then sort of comedy and improv comes out of that oh. naturally. It's very organic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and yeah, it's it's I think they're the only ones, I say we're the only ones, but I I still feel like a little bit of an outsider in a way, in that the RH experience is very much Conor Luke and Tom. Like they are the hub and I've kind of sort of joined in as oh I can I can also. Um they would never say that, they'd be like, Come on guys, it's (laughs) all of us. Um but still very much the energy is those three guys who are so different in their in their styles their techniques their interests even um but together they're this powerhouse of really great fun so that's been um yeah a lot of big focus for the last four or five years and has opened a lot of other doors as well which has been which has been really lovely so yeah can't speak holy enough for the boys very nice very nice and what's your what's your role in that group what
0: did you bring that they didn't have before or how did you change it so
1: one of the so one of the big things that i've always been interested in is is music so at university like so my intro to improv was uh, the durham university improvised comedy comedy society um so people like reese collier is also uh sort of was a part of that when he graduated i think we missed each other by a year i graduated when he uh, started at, at durham um and i remember having the best time doing i, I think i essentially joined because i thought it was a stand-up society i thought i was going to learn how to be funny um and weirdly enough we just played i think like a lot of people i remember molly speaking about like the first improv stuff a very short form very sort of whose lines anyway it's the gateway drug it gets everyone like i can do this thing and it's really fun um and i remember it being a lot of fun um but i remember like some of the shows we did were awful <laughs> Like genuinely awful, like proper like steamrolling each other. We had a lot of fun formats. I remember a particular summer we had something called the Bucket of Death tour. And we went around um, Durham's Collegiate. So you would go to different colleges and do like a little tour of the colleges. And we had this Bucket of Death show where the game is as a big uh, bucket of water. It's our sort of finale party piece where one improviser has to have their head in a bucket of water the entire time. And the only t- they can only come out of it and continue a scene when someone tags them out. So it's essentially, you have to do these really fast scenes to stop your, your teammates drowning.
0: Oh, that was awful. Which
1: was awful, but there's that element of danger. <laughs> that sort of, like the, I can't remember who did the mouse traps one, but oh, I seem yes. to remember it's that, yes. sort, of, that yes. sort of vibe. Um, but I remember doing that and, and loving it. And then I remember moving down to London. I was up in the North for a little while. Um, there wasn't a lot in Leeds where I was living at the time, sadly. Um, but I remember moving down to London, yeah, 2010, and going, there's so much here. Um, it was pretty much hoopla. I'm not sure David was here with Mon- uh, So David Shaw with with Monkey Toast at the time. Um, but yeah, I remember going hoopla. Great, I'm gonna get stuck in and do everything I can. Um, but yeah, so it's mainly been music is what I was actually talking about. Um, and so I remember doing, I was in a, a musical comedy duo called The Rasputins back at university, um, which, is, uh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, one of the guys I used to go to university with a guy called Ed Baxter. Um, he introduced me actually to the, the, comedy, the improv comedy society as well. And so we would do, uh, we would do, initially we were a serious covers band. Like we used to do like little covers. We'd do our own little songs. And then um, we started doing, essentially we used to do covers of our favourite comedy songs. So we did, um, like, you know, Tribute, Tenacious D stuff, Corky and the Juice Pigs, the Only Gay Eskimo song, um, and, you know, bits and pieces like that. And I remember going, this is fun, but, like, these aren't our songs. Like, I want to do our own stuff. Um, so we started writing our own songs. And when we started doing, uh, this end up how I meet I started, Ended up how I met people like Nick Orham and, and people from Sheffield because they came up to see Durham Improv. Um, they, I think, thought it was fine, um, but then they, <laughs> but then they came, then they came to see me and Ed do um, uh, a sort of musical comedy thing where we did some improv as well. We were we were big blues fans. We do an improvised blues during every set, and they were like, "Cool, you should come down and close our graduation show in Sheffield." Wow! So we came down and we were we, we played with them, which was Rate. Um, I remember learning a lot from them. They had an incredible director called uh, Dimitri Muner who I saw not so long ago actually. He came over um, and he was from uh, already doing, I think he was already doing a postdoc in astrophysics. Wow. Um, incredible improviser, incredible director of improv as well. And so he'd studied with various schools over there and had basically gone, There's no improv in, in Sheffield, let's do this thing. Um, so I remember meeting Nick Horam, uh, Sean Lothian, Helen O'Donnell. Um, and all those cool kids um, and then meeting they had a director and everything wow. like it was super great um, so it was the music that got me into improv it was music that got me introduced to sort of the the first groups that were doing it more seriously uh, and then when I moved to London um, I found that anyone who was uh, interested in the sort of stuff I'd done before. It was like, oh, I heard you play guitar. <laughs> and then that's where you kind of almost inevitably get pigeonholed. And I'm, I'm not saying that in a bad way at all. Um, I've actually really enjoyed like being like that guy. So if you need someone who's playing guitar and does the the listening, can react, understands improv, but can also have like a musical, can provide music for you. So the long way around of that is that's why I'm doing in the Irish Experience. They saw me do stuff with Do Not Adjust Your Stage. My role in Do Not Adjust Your Stage was sing a few songs i'd set up a few it was all very tv based at the time so it was a play on do not just your set from monty python um so it was very much um uh me doing either the theme songs for tv shows (laughs) little stings for adverts or like full-blown songs on like a music channel or whatever it was for for particular channels um and i remember seeing the rh going yes let's 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 have some fun with that so lots of music Um, lots of different genres, lots of different styles but always with the idea of it's improv first. Um, I think Duncan Walsh Atkins was saying in in his episode recently it was um you need an improvised uh, either a musician or an accompanist or a whole band to be looking always at time they need to understand improv, they need to know where the beats are, they need to know where uh, the emotion is coming from, they need to know what the relationship is, they need to spot the changes, they need to identify whatever tilt is going on the scene and be able to react to that as a musician Um, and that's something that i've yeah really tried to develop like that's my little little niche um that i really enjoy and really love so that's what i'm doing with the rh and that's what i've been doing really since i moved to to london with the whole musical slash improv
0: combo yes because i was going to ask if we were trying to get more people um to play music to accompany improvisers how should they do it? And then you just sort of explain that.
1: Yeah, I think there's um, there's there's this lovely mix of people who are excellent improvisers and maybe slightly less confident with instruments, um, which is a little bit of a shame because I think when you get that confidence with improv, I think just grab that ukulele, piano, um, you don't get a lot of woodwind or brass uh,
0: improv uh, improv musicians, which I think is a shame. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just slightly visualising that in my mind. Yes, no, that's... Uh strange wonderful fever dream.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, even if you've got like the basics of I can play a chord on a ukulele, there's someone else who's going to be able to go, yeah, okay. And even just the tiniest little bit of something underneath the scene, it doesn't have to be like yeah. actually pushing a song or like making, making people sing on stage. It can just be scoring for a scene yes. that turns it from a regular scene into something that actually feels more... A bit more full a bit more theatrical a yes. little bit more sometimes less like cinematic in some cases
0: yes i love those little um, production touches that just take it just sort of lift the scene and sort of take it somewhere else because much as i love improv a lot of the scenes especially if you watch a lot of it a lot of the scenes can seem inevitably sort of become a little bit samey but if you can just have a little bit of production yeah say, it's not doing much but it's just takes us somewhere
1: else. Absolutely, I think that production element as well, I mean, that's one of the things that the RH boys, particularly Connor, like he's coming up with so many different creative ideas. Um, I won't spoil loads of them now, because I think you should get him on and have a chat yes, with him. So but uh, a lot of the shows that we've done with the Rx Experience have come out of Connor's ideas, particularly. So we took a show up in 2014 to the Edinburgh Fringe uh, called Stuck, which was one of my, my favourite formats, where we already knew ahead of time that there would be three characters. We would do little three line scenes to introduce those characters and then they would get stuck somewhere by the end of the 45 minutes hour long show, they would have either escaped or died or (laughs) something would have happened anyway to to make it like a a good resolution. that happened, and then I remember sort of kind of going, well, we've got all these really talented friends from YouTube, from the improv community, how can we do more with that? So I remember doing more musical stuff, and then we've got um, Ed Stockham at the moment is our in-house animator and artist. So he Whoa. works, uh, he's, a, he's a great uh, YouTube guy, an incredible illustrator. He currently works for the Beano, which is one wow. of my sort of childhood yes. jealousy sort of <laughs> things happening right there. Like, oh, he works for the Beano, which is very, very cool. Um, and we get him along, and we have an overhead projector in our current show, Scribble. Wow. Um, so sort the of classic 1980s classroom type vibe, and he's got acetate, and we get a load of suggestions from the audience in advance uh, that we don't see, yeah. uh, and Ed draws them all before the show, oh, wow. and then our who, what, where. So our where is always defined by yeah. what um, what Ed is putting on the OHP. Oh wow. Which as a it's very low fi It's yeah. not sort of it's not sort of crazy like sort of snazzy type sort of flash but there is that production value attached to it that makes it go, oh, this is something a little bit special. And you can just be, like I've seen some lovely scenes with the RH boys with these things in mind where you've got the backdrop, you've got music going on and the improvisers can then breathe. They can take their time. They can live in that space for a little bit without it feeling weird to the audience. Like obviously we're still doing space work, we're still doing all the object type stuff, the stuff that you would normally do in any given improv scene naturally anyway. But there's not the pres- there's not that sort of pressing bit going say a thing yeah, yeah. like turn it into talking heads <laughs> like just live in that
0: tiny little world that's been created with and also the audience they just need a little bit of time just to take it all in because this is a place that they haven't seen before yeah this is a you know this, yeah that's beautiful and I really like the idea of the overhead projection because I love um, I love tech shows tech improv shows. And I also sort of hate them when I do them because there's always a disaster about half an hour before showtime, and it's always a different disaster. And I've got bags full of so many cables I don't know what to do with. Yeah. And then you just get it all going. So it's like now I'm reminded why I do this because it's just it is it is that taking you somewhere different that you won't necessarily normally go.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're so lucky in that respect with the Archie experience because we have Tom Bacon. Um, who if you're not aware for, for listeners of the podcast who are not fully familiar is um, is, is essentially God. Um, <laughs> I love that man, genuinely with all my heart. Um, and he makes us look amazing every show. Yeah. Um, so he's an incredible uh, technical improviser. Like he is, um, he uh, his edits are superb. So obviously he's blacking stuff out like instantly. Um, and he's one of the sort of people where his sense of humour is so close to ours that we've nearly killed him a few times. Um, <laughs> it's not actually funny because um, <laughs> we we I think we nearly have. Um, and so I remember having um, just having him on lights on sounds to be able to rock up and go. Cool, I want to do this weird thing, and he's got that yes and mindset, but from a and and the technical knowledge to be able to make that stuff happen. Um, so he is he is the fifth. Member, like even though he's not on stage, he is on stage. Like he is, um, and the number of laughs he gets per show yeah. are easily. Obviously, that's not what we're going for. Um, <laughs> but I think for for sheer fun, like he, he, he knows when to cut it, he knows when to shut us up, he knows when to give us more time, um, he knows when there's a game and goes, cool, you can play that more later guys, it's all good. <laughs> so he's a nice, yeah, he, he shepherds us in a really lovely way yeah. um, and is so playful with it as well. So we're very lucky in that respect and that we don't have to think about that because Tom bacon has got it all under, like so under control. Um, and yeah, he's such a lovely, positive influence in, in the team as well. So we just all love and hang, love hanging out together, he's, he's the one. <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. Um, you mentioned Edinburgh? Yes.
0: You have a show.
1: Yeah, this is this is new. Um, so about 18 months ago, um, I decided that I'd, go, I'd write more stand-up. So I remember doing stuff with the Rasputins back in the day and kind of go, well, I liked that, that was fun. Um, and I've, um, through doing stuff with the RH, um, through doing stuff with various improv groups, I've you obviously generate loads of ideas and they're very, uh, they're very sort of ephemeral. They go away, they sort of you know, float into the ether and you never see them again. Um, and I always thought that's quite a shame. And I remember doing a, um, when the Second City guys first came over, so the guys from Toronto, so it was Kevin, uh, Kevin Frank, um, Lisa Marchant, who was amazing. Um, they came over and they were doing uh, not only the sort of regular improv stuff, um, but they were doing improv to sketch, which is how obviously the Second City turn their improv sort of late night free shows into their reviews. So mm-hmm. they turn all these lovely sketches into that one's good, that one's good, that one's good. It's going into the review and people will come and pay to see those slightly earlier shows on in the night in. New York, wherever they happen to be. Um, and I remember seeing like that kind of thing for the first time, I was thinking, oh, of course you can devise material from improvisation as long as you're recording it in some fashion. Yes. Um, and I've you know, I've heard people sort of, you know, either filming it, writing it down afterwards, going, that was a cool idea, let's do more with that. And the RH guys are great at that. So a lot of the sketches we've end up filming or doing more with have been in-the-moment improv creations and then they've been remembered, recorded and turned into something cool yeah. at a later date.
0: I'm really interested in that
1: process because
0: I don't understand sketch. I don't either, if I'm <laughs> frank.
1: Um, as, as I say, like uh, for me it's, it's Connor and Tom who are the, who are the writing geniuses of, of the team and they will take those ideas. I mean, in a similar way that you'll see a scene and you'll know it'll work and you don't maybe You can see exactly why that works, or you can identify after the fact that, oh, that was the game maybe we should have played, Great. If we've got that recorded and go right, well, let's let's do this again. Um, but let's look at it from this game's perspective. Let's play that game for five beats and see how that goes. Or let's uh, take this character from one scene and put him in this game instead, because I think that would be funnier. And so you've already got all the Lego bricks. If we can, you know, sponsor this, yes, you can get sp- Lego would like to sponsor this. That would be that, that would be, be amazing. Right. Um, you've got all the Lego bricks to build your cool improv or sketch or whatever house. Um, cool. So record them and make the most of it and i remember kind of going the other the other thing that i thought was um there's i think sarah millican had this lovely bit where after the end of a stand-up show her rule is if it went really well she can brag about it for an hour if it went really badly she can wallow in it for an hour then after that time is it's done because that's that's it that's all you can do um so i remember going i love that for improv but also like even if you can wallow or brag about it whatever it is it's still gone like i remember i've I can't remember the last time I remembered an entire show of all the scenes that I did because, yes. you know, there's so much going on, there's so much you're holding in your head, like dropping. Yes. You know, you, you don't have to keep it all in your head. You've just got to keep the salient points and make sure you're playing the games. That it doesn't matter in the show because you know, you're know you going to get where you are eventually. But it seems such a waste to me that yeah. there's so much material being generated all the time. Like, I should be writing this stuff down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, particularly with songs. So I started writing some stuff. I remember the first Edinburgh Fringe I went up, I went up with uh, Do Not Adjust Your Stage and Music Box. So we remember doing some music for them. I'm getting to play with people like Joe Samuel from The May Days, uh, Phil Lunn, who's still one of my very, very improvisers and uh, musicians to play with as well. Um, and we're going, cool, I, I love this improv stuff, but I need to write something. Yeah. I need to get some stuff down. So I started writing stupid songs um, and taking them out on the regular London open mic comedy circuit. Wow! Um, and had a lot of fun with it. Like it's it's a very different scene than the improv scene. Yeah. Um, it's quite solitary. Um, I found that a little bit tricky as well, because obviously when you're rolling up to an improv night and you've got your whole team in tow, it's like, great, you've got someone to talk with, someone to drink with, people to warm up with, people to laugh with, people to like, cry with and go, nah, it's fine if it goes wrong. Whereas when you're going up and you're doing solo stand-up comedy, it's quite a, it's very lonely. Um, and the improv, improviser in me went, okay, I'm going to go and make as many friends as I can. It's like some people don't want to be made friends with. Uh, some people do, and so I've met a lot of really lovely people on the scene and just went, how can I fuse the things that I like? Music, comedy, and improv in a way that is maybe a bit more club friendly, so I can go out and do more bits. So my yeah. So my first, it's my debut solo show that I'm taking up to remember this year, um, and it's maybe 70% pre-written stuff with uh, 30% improv, because I didn't want to lose improv entirely, because yeah. that is where it's all come from, essentially. And I love working with a crowd, Doing the doing the the fun chats and getting material out of the crowd and turning it into something on stage for them that only they're ever going to be able to see. Right. Yes. Um, So yeah, that's uh, so yeah. The show this is um, is called Google Drive. Um, I'm doing my first previews at the Brighton Fringe in about a week and a half. Wow. Um, And it's uh, very tech heavy, so I've got (laughs) lots of lots of things that could go wrong but luckily i've got tom bacon again hey, so that's quite nice so that got, would be the secret to that it. he's the secret
0: source. that is um, unfortunate for everybody who doesn't have tom bacon
1: well quite i mean there are i mean there are other accents i mean um for me as well like uh john Monkhouse, um the funk house like what a complete don um, <laughs> like i've seen him tech like massive like you obviously like with ostentatious like i think it's tour manager for ostentatious at the moment obviously taking them around the place and um like so many multi-talented like it's not even triple threat it's like pentuple threats (laughs) like i can do everything guys cool i mean thanks thanks to the community for for those cool people um but yeah so it's 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 an interesting it's just it's one of those um sort of follow the fear kind of things i didn't know whether i could do it I'm yeah. not sure whether I wanted to do it, and so that made me go, "No, I have to do it now." Oh, right. um, but I'm excited. All the all the little previews and bits I've been doing so far have gone really well, um, and so it will be my first putting together of the the hour, which is yeah. both terrifying and exhilarating, and and hopefully rewarding at the same time. So looking forward to that
0: immensely. I mean, when you've been you know turning up with your guitar at open spots and things like that, what's been the reaction? If you've got a guitar, are people happy to see you with a guitar or
1: Well, musical comedy has got, it's got a sort of mixed reputation, I think. It's similar to improv in a lot of respects, (laughs) is that some people have seen really bad improv and so assume, rightly or wrongly, that all improv is like that. Similar with musical comedy, Um, you see a lot of people who either can't play their instruments, don't have very many jokes, or it's a combination of both. And I remember seeing, I remember doing my first, like, not really Funnily enough, I'm not really a big fan of a lot of musical comedy because I think it's an excuse for bad guitar playing and bad jokes put together to be something that's maybe okay. <laughs> and like, but you see it done well, and I remember being like blown away the first time I saw Bill Bailey, David O'Doherty, Tim Minchin, like these like proper gods of of musical comedy, and going, yes. It's clever, it's insightful, they have real musical skill like I want to do, I want I want to do something like that. And I think it's that, um, in fact, I saw a post from Maria Peters not so long ago, uh, who is one of my other complete favorite musical and other improviser, um, she's incredible. She posted something about, it. it's the uh, Ira Glass quote of your taste and what you're currently trying to achieve, what you're trying to build. There is gonna be a disparity there when you first start anyway. Your taste is killer, but what you're putting out there is maybe not as good as the thing that you're looking at. So I remember putting out terrible songs, like trying to you know, sort of emulate uh, a Bill Bailey song or trying to you know get that sort of vibe across but the more you do it the more you get better at it yeah. so rocking up to a show as a guitarist you get those kind of things going well oh he's got the applause stick so that's the other thing is that it's um, I've been to a couple of gigs where it's been seen as a gimmick so if I'm doing musical comedy I finish a song I automatically get applause and right. I think there's some comics who go well I have to work for my applause and you <laughs> don't. I'm like, ah, I don't care um, I still really enjoy I, I, I enjoy it it's how I like to tell my jokes. Um, it helps my memory as well. Like I've I've got a terrible sort of short and long term memory, but for songs, absolutely not. Like I can remember lyrics for days. So being able to write my own things, their own, their their own memory aid in a way, yeah, which I quite like. Um, at the same time, though, I've now seen like some incredible musical comics on the London scene. I um, did a gig recently with uh, Harriet Brain, who's one of my very favourites, um, also a guitarist. And she's this be- beautiful fusion of musical comedy and um, an art appreciation. Um, she puts out the most amazing, thoughtful and hilarious material. And it's that sort of thing where I look at her and go, yes. That's that beautiful mix of it's genuinely funny, really insightful, and she's a great guitar player. And it's like that's exactly the sort of thing I want to be. I want to be watching. Um, and then you see people like Rachel Paris, who again, an incredible improviser, incredible. And one of my favourite things I did was it last year, yeah, it must have been, was it was uh, upstairs. It was Lady Prov Improv Night. So, the wonderful uh, the wonderful guys over there. Um, and I remember I did a spot. The rest of the RH experience couldn't make it, so I was all of the RH experience for that night. (laughs) And Rachel Parris was headlining. And one of the most beautiful and generous things I've ever been asked was, Dan, do you mind coming on at the end of my set and we'll do some duets together? And I lost my mind. It was the most fun um, with someone, again, who is an incredibly, technical musical person who's an incredible improviser, incredible musician, and very generous. It's that lovely sort of combination of things. So I remember thinking, well, I don't really mind what a lot of the regular stand-ups think about it. It's those lovely moments that I go, well, that that makes it worth it. Um, So yeah, similar to improv in that there's a bit of a, maybe a bit of a a vibe around it. But then you see people like um, uh, Ed Chappell, who runs the Musical Comedy Awards, um and you see the passion around musical comedy like you know they filled out the lyric um this uh this uh competition just gone full of musical comedy fans every single heat quarter final semi-final absolutely rammed to the rafters at the phoenix near oxford circus um there's a real appetite for musical comedy um and i think yeah if it's it's nice that there's a niche um some people some other comics may not understand it but ah you know Everyone's got different tastes and who who are they and who am I to judge like it's...
0: Yeah, and you know, just because you're doing musical comedy doesn't mean that stand-up comedy... It's going to be negated or not exist anymore. It's not a zero
1: sum game yeah, I think. Exactly, like you yeah, yeah. you know just because you're doing stand up doesn't mean that you can't do music. Just because you're doing character doesn't mean you can't do sketch. Like it's not you know, no one's going to no one's taking that thing away from you. <laughs> I think that's the big difference between I think improv and, and stand up. Like I don't think one is better than the other. Um, what I have noticed with particularly around the improv community is it's a I think it's a lot more giving. I think it's a lot more generous. I think there's a lot more like trying to understand and trying to listen and trying to forward the art form and the scene as a whole. Whereas I think there's maybe a little more of a sort of individual success marker. There's an individual, this is how we do things on our own. This is how we, there's there's less collaboration. I'm not saying there's no collaboration because of course there is. Um, But there's definitely less collaboration in the stand-up world that I've seen than there is in the improv world. I think that's a shame because I think you could end up with incredible writing partnerships, writing teams to do really cool stuff. I think maybe that's what's going on in the US at the moment that maybe isn't happening here. Um, There's more of an understanding that as a team we can achieve more. which is a horrible, that is a together weird, together everyone achieves more, team, oh, that's Oh, but it's so true, that's it's awful. so true.
0: That's what I love about improv, it's the coming together with other people, and then, yeah, it's the creating the shared universe that is so much richer because it's shared and yeah. you're all contributing to it, so.
1: I'm also fully aware that I've kind of gone. Oh, the stand-up community is quite sort of closed and whatever. So if I get no gigs now, um, <laughs> um, it's like cool, totally worth it, guys. Like, come on, guys, work together. Like, we, we can be we can be putting good stuff out there as a as a team and. <laughs> Having said that, like going up to Edinburgh as well, like what I've noticed this year, like so many cool people going up to, to Edinburgh. So Maria Peters to bring her back in is taking her first solo show up this year, science which of cringe. I'm science of cringe, which I'm so excited to see. Um, we're both on at the Underbelly this year, so I'm delighted to see like people that oh she's amazing. Um,
0: yes, she is. And and seeing I've seen, I've seen the show, it's very good.
1: Have you now? Yes. I've not seen it yet, it's so exactly. I know she was doing some previews. Yes. Um, so yes, I'm very excited to see it. Um, and seeing so many people go up who have had now some kind of improv background even though they are doing mainly sort of stand up stuff So seeing people like um, Eleanor Conway is one of my favourites, so she's got a a show called Walk of Shame. She's doing incredible things right now, like touring all around the country. I met her doing Second City workshops. So she already had that very engaging, really um, audience focused kind of vibe about her anyway. The storytelling, the storytelling is magical. And then she's got the whole improv stuff to fall back on. She didn't need it because she's got incredible material as well. But having those people now with the improv mindset, as well as that I want to generate material, I think you. I think it's getting to the stage where you are going to need both. I think I'm not sure how long the sort of regular person and microphone with no interaction is is going to is going to go. I think there's definitely a, yeah. a changing in the wind at the moment. Yeah. Not a fart joke, um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing a rehearsal yesterday and there was it was a song about changing in the wind. And at the end of it, it was like, is this a fudge? No, it's not a, it's just a it. but that was in my head. And that's why I came up.
0: With, so. so you mentioned in uh, Google Drive mm. that it's uh, quite tech heavy. Yeah. Can you, can you describe one of the tech-heavy things that you're going to do?
1: Yeah, so, um, guitaring-wise, um, I've got an electric guitar with a uh, MIDI synthesizer attached to it, so it oh. makes my guitar sound like anything I wanted to, anything I've <laughs> programmed a synthesizer to. That itself is then fed into a loop pedal, uh, which also has a microphone, so I'm beatboxing, looping, synthesizing guitar, that happens, so Tom has to deal with that. So thanks, Tom. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: and then I've got um, I've got projections and stuff like that as well. So it was a lot more technically. Uh, I've I've had to scale it down. I had like apps that I was halfway through building to get audience <laughs> interacting with things. I had signals being sent to the. Um, to the projection from guitars where different oh. notes. It was like, nah, do you know what? Like, I need to get this done. Stop <laughs> thinking of the cool tech stuff you can do and just get it done. So um, so I've scaled it down a little bit. So it's it's more tech than I imagine you would have in a regular sort of one-person stand-up show. Yes. Um, but it's enough that it's the sort of setup that I'm quite comfortable with. Um, and then there's the tech layer of the actual show content as well. So it's all about um, predicting the apocalypse using Google search data. Um, which, um, cause in my regular normal person job that we were talking about at the beginning, uh, I'm a software engineer. So, uh, having those kind of things sort of constantly filtering again, it's trying to find that Venn diagram of here are all my interests. Where's the bit in the middle where all of them can come together. So it's like the most me thing I can possibly, <laughs> I can possibly make. Um, so yeah, so there's a, there's a fair bit of mainly audio tech that's going in, but there's a bit of, bit of visual stuff as well. Um, and then Tom on lights, is just, it's Tom on lights. So it's going to be, it's going to be lovely. He's, yeah, very, uh, very able to be proactive and reactive into what's going on. He's an improv, improv technical guard. So I'm excited about that.
0: Cool. That sounds amazing. Um, you're involved with a musical?
1: Yeah. So that's one of the, um, so that was another thing that I got in through in a weird way, sort of by proxy of the RH experience. So with the RH experience, we were doing um, a radio show at the Roundhouse uh, in Camden, which is really lovely. So for, I think it was a couple of years, we did a weekly show, uh, which we were called Played Up. Uh, we had Tom Bacon was our host. He's uh, got such a lovely, warm uh, warm voice, uh, and obviously his technical know-how. We get guests to come in, and it was a little bit of a mix of uh, Desert Island Discs, and, um, more of an improv show, so the idea is that people would bring in lost tapes from their childhood or their attic, we put them in the tape recorder and then the RH experience would uh, oh, basically wow. act out either the, the, the radio play or the songs that would be generated or whatever which is really lovely and through that process we met a guy called Dave Cribb who has done loads of stuff with uh, Radio 1, Radio X incredible producer all round good egg um, and so I've done uh, bits bits and pieces with him uh, he's, he plays guitar in Abandon Man as well so I've done some bits with, with Rob Broderick and a Man too, playing guitar and we're going around with them um, but Dave essentially went uh we need a guitarist for this show that we're cooking up do you want to come down and and have a play so i was like yes um and the concept is great it's um it's comedians a lot of household names as well which is lovely coming to sing their favorite songs from musicals with a live band so i'm part part of dave and the quavers so it's dave Cribb's band i'm (laughs) a quaver in this in this scenario um it's hosted by uh kirri mclean from Gaines family gift shop who are an incredible sketch a group and Jade Adams who was I think she was nominated for Edinburgh Best Newcomer last year um, and as a duo hosting the show they're incredible lovely one like, that's so funny um, and it's been doing incredibly well and so we've had people like Sarah Pascoe Ashley B. Uh, Joel Dominic came on last time and did Guns and Ships from Hamilton um, so yeah it's nice because although it's not sort of improvising really we have practically no time to learn all the songs so everyone gets to do one song and and we have to, um, so there's, a, there's a, a song that the hosts do. We then do a song for everyone, and then whoever wins, they get to do an encore song with, with the band, which is super lovely. However, it means that as the band, we're learning 12 songs per show, of which wow. we use maybe six or seven. Ooh. So, and a very short time scale, because a lot of the time, we don't really know who's coming on to do the show until maybe a little bit later. We have people drop out with people replacing them, so we have to drop out and replace the songs. So just being able to go, we know the key, we know roughly, what, and Dave Cribb is amazing at this, like he's an incredible, incredible pianist, um, and the whole band as well. Uh, We've got a guy called Scott on drums, who's incredible. Uh, A guy called Tim on other keys as well, so we've got multiple keys. And so, yeah, we have this sort of, almost improv mindset between us that we have to react to what Kiri and Jade are doing, we're reacting to what the comedians are doing, because even though they're trying to do a sort of straight performance of of these particular musicals, inevitably it's funny, inevitably we have to react to what's going on with the crowd. So there's a lovely sort of improvised in-the-moment element about it too, which I really, really like. Um, but it's a one-off. So we're doing this at the Bethnal Green. Uh, it's the Backyard Comedy Club in Bethnal Green. So we're doing that. The next one is I think it's July mm, July 23rd? No, June 20th I can't remember. I will let you know. Um, but yes. Um, and so, yeah, that's been really lovely. And then we're taking it up to the Pleasance Grand, for a one night only show in Edinburgh, which will have we've already got some incredible acts booked in that I'm not allowed to talk about sadly, um, but also the band is expanding. So we've got the Quavers, which are the four of us. I think we're looking at brass and strings wow. and about to make it a proper sort of West End Broadway type vibe. Um, but very exciting and a and a big uh, big venue, which yes. I think will do yes. hopefully do really well.
0: <laughs> that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Cool um, and. Um, you also do coaching and corporate speaking. Yeah, because um, I, I have I have used improv in a business sense today. Yep, I had to. I was filling out a job application form. Yep. Sorry, current employers, if you're listening. <laughs> um, and uh, they want they, they had that criteria bit, and one of the criteria bits was that I had to be friendly. Okay. And I slightly struggled how how to explain how I was friendly in a kind of an application form. Yeah. And uh, I used improv. I I said it. <laughs> I sort of hate myself for it. Uh, that I uh, I I explained what yes and was. Okay. And I said how I use that uh, in a business setting as well as in a stage setting.
1: That's really <laughs> lovely, and that's one of the things that like we've been I've been looking at for a while. So. Um, Earlier in my software career, I was working at Microsoft, which was a lovely place to work. Um, I was always the dumbest person in the room. I think in my team that I went into first, everyone else was like a PhD in computer science and I've got a BA in foreign languages. So I was like, okay, cool, Um, let's do this. Um, I had a lot of fun Um, and my boss at the time uh, a really great guy called Paul Hammond um, was trying to basically go well again he was saying well what are your Venn diagram like what what are the things that you're into how can you make the team better how can you help the rest of your team using things that you have outside Um, and he introduced me to this book by a guy called uh, Patrick Lencioni so he's a uh, motivational speaker, a really great business writer, and he's got a book called *The Five Dysfunctions of a Team*, which sounds incredibly dry, but it's <laughs> it's really interesting. There's also a manga version, if that's a, if that's wow. your jam. It certainly, is mine. So I got that <laughs> copy, and it's essentially about um, a company, a fictional company, and it's the management team of that company, and they've gone through a restructure and various things, and they identify five behaviours in this team that basically will make it fail. Um, It's things like lack of trust, um, lack of um, conflict that is useful, um, uh, inattention to detail, focus on ego. Um, And so the whole model is really lovely, but I found it quite negative. So I remember reading this book and you go, you should read this and, and, you know, we had some problems in the team at the time, and I remember going, okay, there's something we can do here. And there's this lovely model of this, of this pyramid, but it seems very negative. It's like lack of this, uh, focus on a bad thing. I kind of went, well, if you flip it around the other way, they're functions and they're really nice. And they're an awful lot like the, the tenets of improv, very much like a, a real grounding in like complete, um, un- what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, So it's got a complete basis of trust, unconditional support um, upon which you are listening to people the entire time, massive active listening, so that you can build on each other's ideas and take it away from yourself, making other people look good, which means that you end up putting together something that is greater than the sum of its parts. And I felt it was a more positive way of looking at that problem than rather than the dysfunctions, I want to look at functions. So I spent a lot of time with Paul workshopping this this workshop that we ended up doing at uh, Microsoft and Skype um, to get people to be a little bit more collaborative, maybe listen a little bit more, um, trying to focus on making other people look good. There was a big shift uh, while I was at Microsoft from this sort of stand-up mentality to an improv mentality where it's all about your individual performance to more of a team performance. And so we're going, that's really interesting. And so um, I started, Going with Paul to some sort of big, more sort of more uh, grander conferences, I guess. Um, so I got invited out to Shanghai. Went out to there for to, to do some stuff with the Scrum Alliance. So in in software engineering, there's a there's a big uh, big push around uh, being able to respond to change, being able to adapt to change, being able to do that in a way that engages your customers, and so that you can out the best product be that software or whatever that you can in, in a short space of time. Like, this is improv. like Agile and improv are, are so similar. So I've done a lot of, of things there um, and it's it's been able to, it's kind of changed the way I see, again, my, my working practices and that, you know, I'm, I'm building software. I'm trying to make sure that I'm doing the best thing, but that I'm also engaging in, in my team in, in the best way possible to get the best out of them as well. Um, so yeah, and it's opened a lot of really lovely doors. So going out to Shanghai, I've done some stuff with uh, eBay, which has been lovely. Um, last year we out to Atlanta. Um, so hearing actually Molly Molly Merwin talk about um, her Atlanta journey, um, I remember going out there and again, the improv community rallying around. I remember sending out a tweet saying, hey, uh, does anyone know anyone in the improv or stand up community in Atlanta? I'm, I'm going out there for a week for a conference. There's anyone around? And uh, Mark Tindall, uh, was it episode four, Mark Mark <laughs> yeah, Tindall? Um, he came back and said, oh, you need to meet J-Star from, from uh, the basement theater out in Atlanta. Got this lovely message from J-Star saying, uh, not only should you come and perform, please come and stay with me. Oh, um, so again, it's that yes and, it's that acceptance, it's like, generosity, and and so I had the best time meeting some really lovely people. I think I did five or six shows while I was out there, which was really, really lovely, Um, and then got to do some improv um, with, with businesses, and I've seen teams go from Quite dysfunctional, lack of trust to people like talking and having constructive conflict, um, having those difficult conversations because there is a grounding of we are listening, we're playing to the top of our intelligence, we're making other people look good, and ultimately we trust each other and support each other. And I think those are things, regardless of what kind of team you're in, whether it's a, a business team or whether it's a whether it's an improv group, like whatever it is, like there are lessons that you can transfer. Um, so I've really enjoyed that over the past. I, I'm, Doing, uh, I'm running a session again with Paul, so it's nice to still keep in touch with old Microsoft pals. He's now over at eBay, which is lovely. Um, so yeah, we're doing uh, it's Code Slinger. It's called um, in uh, beginning of June. so It's the seventh of June. And we're running a, a workshop in London for. Uh, I think there's loads of people on like Twitter and Facebook and all like that, so it's a nice sort of technical community kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I've really enjoyed the the corporate side of things and, and working with the businesses, and then coaching. Um, yeah, I've uh, a lot of really lovely, both fledging and established in, improv groups. So I've been working recently with uh, Troopless, so Julia right. Mitchellman's group, who I adore. They're amazing. Um, doing some sort of freestyle um, and sort of musical comedy work with
0: them. So how did you approach? Um, coaching them, did they say we want to work on this or did you watch them and say you should do this, is it? So,
1: uh, Julia, in fact, came to me and said, uh, we'd like to do more musical stuff. We'd like to be able to freestyle. I think, uh, so Julia, I think, had seen me do stuff with the RH experience and said, oh, we'd like to do, I don't want to do exactly the same thing, but we'd like the skills to be able to, um, if we're in things like, um, I know um, Story Kitchen, I know the theatre sports type vibe, I know they get thrown into the best song, and so, um, I'm like, cool, like, to give you some tools to be able to handle that if, if that kind of thing comes up, and it's very much it's the tools in the arsenal you may not need them it may not be the sort of improv that you're into or want to do which is entirely fair enough it's not for everyone um, but having those tools oh. in the arsenal anyway yeah. is really nice um, yeah. and in fact I did a, a workshop with if um, you heard of the Shitface Shakespeare crew yes. who are lovely um, so they've got a new show coming out called Shitface Showtime where they do a musical <laughs> and obviously one of the people in the cast so they've learned uh, a musical they're doing The Wizard of Oz this year which is fantastic um, seeing them rehearse they're doing Brighton next weekend and they look amazing they're really really great and one of them is gonna ruin it by being drunk Um, and so I got called in to basically go hey so this is gonna happen there's gonna be disruption things are gonna go wrong how can we in a musical capacity improvise around things that you don't necessarily know how to deal with or you haven't rehearsed for so it's nice to have those tools if you can use them if you need them even if you never have to fall back on them it's a nice sort of thing you can pull out your back pocket and
0: Yeah, it's nice to know that um you know, you can bust our rap if you need to. Well, that's it. Like, that's the thing. And there's so few opportunities in my life where that's A, appropriate or B, desirable.
1: I've, yeah, I've started to realise that. I mean, I'm, I've been spoiled. I've like, been working with um, Rob Broderick of Abandon Man for a couple of years now. Um, he is a wizard. Um, he, he, he works incredibly hard and he's an incredibly good freestyler. And so I've got more, more cause than most to have to bust out a rap or at least like a hook for a, for a great improv track. Um, but working with him has made me go, do you know what, I, I, love, uh, I love the music, I love the density of lyrics you can get. I remember, uh, again, Duncan Walsh Atkins talking about keeping things nice and simple, and you know you don't have to get all of the lyrics in, in the world into a song, yeah. unless you're doing Gilbert and Sullivan or whatever it is. <laughs> but um, I remember going, well, that's cool. Like My job is to do a lot of the hooks. I do a lot of the, sort of the Beastie Boys hype rhyming, where I'm rhyming at the same time as Rob during the show. And I keep my hooks super simple. I keep, like I'm, unless I'm like 99% sure of what the rhyme is, I don't do it. Um, <laughs> But then seeing the density of his lyrics and his internal rhyme schemes, that are all off the cuff and ridiculously clever, um, and it's always incredible punchlines. Like I have to, I have to learn from this man. Like he's, he, he's, he's a wizard. So being able, being exposed to that for about two and a half years now, um, and to be around that kind of creativity, um, and yeah, I mean it's inspirational. So you kind of have, yeah. I've made excuses to get more hip hop into my life because of of that kind of influence. Like if you've got it, like make it more of a thing if you enjoy it. So yeah, don't don't hold yourself back. You've got to get it in if you can.
0: (laughs) Um, Talking of wizards. Yes. Tell me about your love of Dungeons and Dragons.
1: So yeah, so one, of the, so one of the things I did actually at university before um, uh, before I started improv, um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I've always been uh, a bit of a nerd in the more traditional sense. Like people can be nerds about lots of things, You've know, been improv nerd or whatever. Um, I was very much into computer games. I liked maths. I liked programming from a very young age. I had a ZX Spectrum, ZX81, was, that I programmed uh, in BASIC on back if in the day. we if have had a Commodore 64,
0: I don't know if I could have carried We'd have had to, have had to fight. Um, so it's going to be too soon to have mentioned it. We've
1: all been there. The number of <laughs> Commodore 64 owners I've killed. Cool. Uh, There'll be a Vic
0: 20 owner in the middle of oh, like, Don't fight, don't fight.
1: It's okay. It's you don't know what he's done. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, so always was that kind of vibe. And then when I went to university. Um, I went, uh, college had an event where it was a, uh, a fancy dress, heroes and villains kind of. Uh, ball, if you like, is in air quotes. Um, and I went as Legolas from Lord of the Rings and I made all of the costume bits myself. I made uh, all of the like the the tunic and I made a bow and arrow out of like twine and some like bamboo I got in a, in a shop and I got a, a blonde hairband from Claire's accessories. I looked ridiculous, <laughs> but, I re- I, but I really enjoyed myself. And someone at the party came up to me and said, are you part of the... Um, like medieval reenactment society and there wasn't a medieval reenactment society in Durham, but there was a live action role play, um, society, which, uh, I kind of went along to, it was a bit of like, a laugh. I don't like it. If I think it's a bit weird, I'll, I'll give it up. Um, and got, um, I just got hooked. I had such a good time. So, um, in every, in every sphere, in every kind of uh, thing that you might do for leisure, you get a lot of really people, people who are really hardcore about it, and you get some people who are a little bit more fringe and sort of just enjoy it for whatever and. Fortunately, maybe unfortunately, I don't know, I fell in with a really great crowd of people who were into light drinking, uh, sword fighting, and just generally having a good time. Um, and so that's where I started doing um, improvised songs, weirdly enough. I just really? take my guitar along. I started making up songs in character for like the people I was, I was hanging around with. So we'd drink, we'd fight, we'd do songs around the campfire, we'd go out and whatever. And so... From sort of a video game kind of background as a kid, I fell into this that was real life and then fell in with a load of gamers and that was Dungeons & Dragons, it was Pathfinder, Seventh Sea, just having really good times with with role-playing. And what I realized was that when I got into improv, a lot of the skills and things that i'd learned from both they started sort of flowing both ways so i was a better role player because i'd done improv and i was a better improviser because i was quite happy being in character for an entire weekend and and loving it so um, and I've noticed more recently as well, I've seen the sort of Facebook posts of various folks who are either trying LARP for the first time or have been LARPers for a while. Um, I know, I think it's the Beta Males who, Sketch Group, um, incredible. I think a lot of them, sort of, uh, John Henry, I think Guy Kelly as well, don't know them particularly well, but I, I've, I've seen various LARP posts from them and going, oh, cool. Like, okay, there are other people that improv... Um, sort of D and D role playing crossover is is there. Um, sadly, I don't do as much as, as as I used to. Um, I've still got like swords in my cupboard. Um, <laughs> that um, uh, sadly, I've sold a lot of the kit. Um, I've just not got enough time because yeah. I've been more focused on the on the improv stuff. But the 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 people that I met are all super lovely, super intelligent. Again, very generous. There's a sort of uh, collaborative building a story vibe that you get with whatever kind of creative storytelling you're doing be that improv be that d and um, and funnily enough like seeing um, more and more comedians do it like um, I know Paul Foxcraft for instance uh, one of my one of my very favourite improvisers along with Cariad Lloyd doing Paul, uh, Paul and Gariad Cariad and Paul um, he's got his show Questing Time uh, which is again at the Phoenix um, down, down below in their basement um, really lovely comedians playing Dungeons and Dragons and it's yes this is the sort of thing where if I'd have known that this was a thing as a kid that I could get involved in, because yeah. like knowing that larping was a thing, live action role play was a thing as a kid, would have blown my mind. That this is a thing that like people can do and do do as a as a as a hobby. Like that would have blown my mind and made school probably a lot easier. Because yes. like I went to a school where, God bless them, like like. They were not nerd friendly at all. <laughs> I maybe had maybe two friends who got what Final Fantasy was, uh, one of my favorite um, uh, role-playing games from the Japanese role-playing game, actually incredible. Seven. Um, uh, seven was Seven was my intro, uh, as it was many people, PlayStation 1. Um, but yeah, I remember like then from there going, well, how do I find this? And I remember going, the um I was sort of I think probably one of the last generations where I grew up without the internet. I think it was fifteen, sixteen when we first got a dial up modem in, in our house. Um, and then I remember going, oh, I can get all my cheats for my games. If I wanted to do that, I could like talk to my friends on MSN Messenger. I remember playing Dungeon Keeper um, over over like really shoddy internet <laughs> connection and going, why is it not working? <laughs> um, and those games like Age of Empires Two, which I adored. Um, but you know, it took, I, I wish I'd had that from, you know, 10, nine years old when I was first into that kind of stuff and going, no, there are other, other people out there like me. There are other people who enjoy that kind of stuff. Um, and obviously like gaming is quite a, uh, uh, quite a maybe frivolous thing to want a community for like it's, it's
0: all community.
1: It's all community. Yeah, um, but yeah, that was it. So it's it all kind of links together in that. Um, I still play a bit of, bit of D and D now and again. Um, I was uh, invited to a lovely, um, lovely uh, banquet event recently where I was hired to play a one-off character for the event where I essentially went round and uh, made fun of everyone in character as a bard, so I got given a load of information up front to then riff off, and so I wrote a couple of rhymes on on the train on the way there, but then, interact in character, write some songs, be part of the world, Um, and it just felt very, very improvised and very natural, so... Um, yeah, I'd recommend, yeah, I recommend any crossover with, with that kind of stuff. If you're, if you're into improv, I know people like uh, Katie Shoot, for instance, I know she's a big D and D player as well. Um, all of that kind of cook. I think Chris Mood and, and all those folks too. Um, so yeah, it's a, uh, it's a thing that I'm very keen on. Don't do enough of sadly yes. with all of the, yeah, with all of the, with all the gigging and stuff and, and like regular person work as well. Um,
0: it's, it's hard to fit it all in. Um, and yet you, you seem to do better at that than most.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, my sleep pattern is screwed. Um, <laughs> but it is what it is. Like, I wouldn't have it any other way, as I
0: said before, so. Right, the last big question. Yeah. big question, big question. What is your signature move? Oh,
1: I heard you ask Molly this and I thought, oh, what is my signature move? Um,
0: because, because as soon as you've told us, you're gonna to have to stop doing it because oh, everyone's gonna realise what it is. They're gonna go signature oh. move. So I'm helping you develop as an improviser.
1: Um, I think I think I think it is. It's I do I do a nerd character that I really like, and I push the glasses up on my nose, and I sort of hunch a little bit. It's a very a physicality that I get into, and my voice kind of goes like this, and I have a, inevitably some kind of clipboard or something, um, and it's uh, sort of quite doddery, and I will come on, and I will just add something that's already there. If I don't have, if in fact, if I don't have anything, that's my initiation. I'm like, well, it looks like the uh, files are out of order, Jeremy,
0: um, <laughs> or
1: something like that. It's it's so like admin focused, <laughs> because that's immediately where my mind goes. It's like, well, what else can I, what else can I do in this scene? Well, you know I love admin and rules. Let's do that. So when I'm properly in a rut and properly in my head, it will be physical, it will be, uh, a little bit of a parody of myself, I think, um, going, ah, that idiot. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, just have, have a little bit of fun with it. But then the second anyone then comes on, it's usually will morph out of it. But right. if you see me do the pushing up glasses yeah. nerd thing, that's me going, I'm totally in my head and I need to get out of this. Um, <laughs> just nice. D- and also, you know, we can all
0: take you as <laughs> persona as well.
1: <laughs> take it. Like, please, yeah, stop me doing that because uh, the number of times... It's almost embarrassing now. (laughs) I made this. That's That's
0: improv!